All righty, guys. Welcome back to another episode of ASAP Finance. It's good to be here. For sure. We're joined with our friend, Ben. Um, we met him through, I think Sam met him first through Discord. Um, he's really into finance and he got he got into crypto really early, um, which we, maybe we might get into. And he's just a really smart mind and we're about to learn a lot from him. So um, thanks. Good nice to be here. You guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Um, so first, like um, we just wanted to start off, like try to get a picture of uh, like what it was like, like when you grew up and like how you first got into investing or entrepreneurship, whether whichever it was first and like tell the story of like how you were first introduced to it, whether it was like a family member or like you discovered it online or like how that how that fell through. Yeah, so I have a lot of family who work on Wall Street, so I've always kind of been surrounded by a bit of a finance background and I've always been sort of thinking about it from a young age. Um, and actually, the first stock I bought was back in middle school. I remember it was Facebook um, for like a couple bucks back when it was basically before it was what it is today. Um, and I always <clears throat> I always saw investing as more of a higher risk, higher reward um, type of way to where you could either double your money or you could lose everything. Um, and. I, I first started reading about crypto back in 2016, 2017. Uh, I didn't think anything of it at the time. I just started researching it when it started to make headlines. Uh, I remember when it broke 5,000, 10,000, everyone was writing about it. Um, and that was really when I started um, researching it a lot, researching blockchain technology and the uh, potential that this tech could have for us. But I didn't buy it until around March, 2020 when uh, everything kind of took a big hit um, and everyone was panicking. Uh, and I knew that as a young kid, I could afford to take the risk. And you know, if I lost all my money, that really wouldn't affect me too much because I still lived with my parents. Um, and I just saw it as a good opportunity. So I went in pretty heavy on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Cardano. Um, and that paid off pretty well for me. Yes. Yeah. So far it's, I mean, it's coming back, back down now, but <laughs> definitely in the long run, you'll definitely be paid out. Um, That's cool. Wait, so you bought, you bought your first stock when you were in middle school. So like, how did, did you like download, was Robinhood even around back then? Or like, how did you, how did you go through that process? Yeah. So that was pre Robinhood back when the only way you could really buy stocks was through those uh, bank brokers that charged insane commissions uh, and everything was, everything moved a lot slower than it does today. So I remember I just, I gave like 20 bucks to my dad and I was like, hey, I want to buy Facebook. Could you just make this happen for me? Take my money and buy it on your computer or whatever. Back before I really understood how the entire process worked. Um, and uh, that was how I bought my first stock. That's awesome. So did you, did you learn a lot from your dad? Was he like your role model in investing? Like he just taught you the basics or did you go online and learn everything yourself? Yeah, so my dad was definitely my role model. My dad was the reason I sort of found out about the entire financial world in the first place, just from conversations with him in the car or whatever, you know. Um, and then when uh, when COVID started and I was stuck at home all day, I kind of had nothing to do. So that was when I kind of took it upon myself to start researching this full time and uh, sort of begin to understand how this entire uh new world worked and all the mechanics behind it yeah it's and it's honestly it's so impressive that you were able to uh get started in middle school because it seems like um even through middle school and high school like we're just not exposed to that because they don't teach any of that in school 
and getting started so early is obviously always going to pay off so well. But um, like after March 2020, of course, you you founded a like a finance community um, that that me and Kyle are both a part of. And we just wanted to know, like, what made you want want to start that? And what are your goals for it? Yeah, can, and do like a little uh, preview of like what what is the community and like like how you made it to as well. Yeah. So, I mean, touching on what you previously said, uh, we're obviously not taught financial literacy in high school here in America, which, you know, huge mistake in my opinion. Um, and I really first understood the magnitude of that mistake when everyone was applying for colleges back when I was in 11th, 12th grade. And I saw a lot of my classmates who, you know, got into their dream schools, but they just couldn't go there because either they, they'd either have to take on a bunch of debt or uh, they just uh, didn't know how they would repay it or they didn't get the, uh, the financial package that they were hoping for. Um, so that was sort of when I started to do heavy research into financial literacy specifically. Um, I did a couple research projects with some professors from NYU and Pace University. And uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted, I don't wanna dive deep like into the college thing um, before you go into your community. Um, when like, what do you, what would you say? Like if someone was like thinking about going to college and like, obviously not everyone has the money like or the funds to go to college where they don't take out debt. So like if you're a student right now and you don't have like a family member or an uncle or someone that can pay for your college, what would you say like as advice for someone like, do they chase their ambitions and forget college for a year or two, or do they just jump right into a degree? You're like, what, what would you say to someone that's, that doesn't know what to do? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm in college right now, so I'm definitely of the position that if you can't afford to go to your dream school, any education is better than no education. So jump into wherever you can, you know, start small, start with a city school or a state school if you have to. And, uh, once you find yourself in a better financial position, work your way up, but definitely don't decide that you won't go to college just because you can't afford your dream school. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. And then, uh, uh, yeah, you, you could touch on the community and like how you built it and what it is exactly. Yeah. So a couple months after I started investing, I, I was slowly discovering these free resources for myself, like Adam Finance. I'm sure Sam remembers that from back I in do. the day. Oh, yeah, that was a good find. That was a good one. Um, and, you know, I slowly started discovering, you know, Benzinga as well. All these little resources that are really quite wonderful, but I didn't know about them from the beginning. Most people probably don't either because there's just so much information out there. It's kind of impossible to find anything on your own. So I founded Wall Street Kings as a sort of organization where I would have an area where people could find free resources and uh, sort of like a hub where I would basically uh, write down everything that I knew, everything that I had found so far and where people could add anything that they found, anything that uh, they were researching currently. Um, and it was originally founded as just this, this free little um, hub where people could just chat and, uh, you know, talk about whatever. And obviously today it's turned into more of like a trading room, uh, still totally free because that's how I want to keep it. Um, but yeah, there's just a couple full-time members in there now who chat every day and trade together. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but I guess what would, what do you like see for it in the future? Do you have any like plans to like grow it even more or anything like that? Yeah, so right now it's 
very heavily focused on equities and stocks specifically. Um, and although I consider myself uh, successfully educating a lot of people about how to get started with stocks, a lot of them are still kind of ignoring this entire other world, which is crypto. Um, and obviously there's also real estate, commodities, there's so much else out there. So ideally what I would want to do is expand Wall Street Kings to uh, sort of cover all these different financial instruments to help people really diversify their portfolios and, uh, you know, really see what's out there. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's great. That sounds like a definitely will will pay off for all the members in the future. So I'm curious, like, do you, so when you said like, you want to, you want to keep it free your whole, like the rest of your life is what you're saying. Do you ever yeah. think like you would change your mind? Like if you get to a point where you want to start charging people because it's such a like valuable discord or you don't, you don't think you ever want to do that and why? I really don't think that I would ever be comfortable charging people for what we provide because I mean, the, the entire backbone of what it is, is this sort of free community where anyone can come and go and just discuss uh, whatever they want to talk about and, uh, you know, access our website, um, access my market outlooks. Um, and I always, I always just viewed this sort of resource as something that I should provide for free. Um, I, I would definitely not feel comfortable asking people to pay me money for, you know, me teaching them how to make money because the entire point is to help them save. Yeah, that's awesome. You're not going to be like a future guru who's charging people like $100 a month and you have like 10,000 people in your discord and you're just living in your penthouse and not doing anything. <laughs> that's good to know because <laughs> I don't like people that do that. Like you'll see people like on discord and like they'll be doing the same thing and then they'll just charge a bunch of people and just like the, the product isn't getting better. Gucci track suits and their Lamborghinis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they're just like all these people, they aren't really, tr most people that do that too aren't even like trying i know sam's and he knows a few people that are actually like trying to get people to learn but like most people that do that they just like sit back and they're just like oh let me just give you a few information like every week i'm not going to tell teach you how to learn i'm going to just tell you what to yeah. do and you like, are definitely you aren't really wouldn't wouldn't want to get into that state where i just become money hungry and just ask people for money because that's the entire opposite of what i'm trying to do yeah that really got out of control like after the covid crash and then on the way up, it was so easy, not, I mean, maybe not easy, but like, so everything was going up and everyone, even people who had just gotten into market and like into trading thought they were gurus and they just all started their own, their own communities. And they were like, oh, wow, I can actually charge people ridiculous amount of, amounts of money for this. Everyone's a genius in a bull market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But obviously, um, let's not, uh, so obviously you, you, you started back in middle school, right? So were you like following the markets or was it just like, Oh, you bought Facebook and then you just sort of like let it ride. And like you, you were more hands-off or like, did you dive deep into like how markets run when you were young or has you, how have you evolved? From yeah. So for me, it was definitely sort of this exponential uptake in my interest. So first I started quietly, you know, researching, Oh, well, Here's how a stock works. Here's how a bond works. You know, just the very, very basic things. Um, and that was, you know, when I bought Facebook, I was still very much, very much a beginner. Um, but all through high school and through uh, especially the summer of eighth grade before high school, I really started researching full time, um, you know, how the financial markets work, the importance of the debt market. Uh, where real estate plays into all this. Um, 
<clears throat> and uh, you know, I'm glad that I I started doing this early. I I wish a lot of a lot of other people started doing it as early as I did because you know we have so much time on our hands these days. It's important not to waste it. Yeah, that's a good point. And it just like compounds into like more and more knowledge the the younger you start because you're just going to keep branching out and you're just going to have this big web of knowledge that you can apply and if you start when you're in middle school it's just that's insane to me that you started that young um and you were thinking about investing and stuff like that that's awesome i don't know i wish i could i wish i could say the same thing but um it's never too late to start for some people Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and so um when you were like could you let's just like go back like not as far as like general finance but like how the world is today um could we like as, as much that you want to tell, like, how do you think the, like the markets with real estate or the fed or the stock market, how do you think like from when you started as much as you know, to how they, how they came to be to COVID and then how they got out of COVID and then how we are right now. Could you take your time if you need to think? Yeah. Um, well, obviously since 2008, we saw a decade of quantitative easing of this huge inflationary environment where money was being printed, um, but inflation uh, itself wasn't really skyrocketing. Inflation was pretty average, around 2% a year. Um, And a lot of people don't understand that inflation isn't a pure result of an influx of money supply. It's a lot more correlated with money velocity, which is how often money exchanges hands in a given period of time. So if if you have more money, but it's being exchanged less, uh, that won't cause inflation. So while money supply was going up and money velocity was going down for the last decade, we kind of saw people stacking money, um, but inflation wasn't a huge problem. And what we've started seeing recently is, although the Fed has stopped pumping money into the system, money velocity has started picking back up. So that is the, the real reason why we're seeing all these you know, massive increases in interest rate and uh, inflation. And uh, you know, this last decade, because of all this new money that was pumped into the system, that's the, uh, the real reason, in my opinion, why we saw this huge bubble of crypto where all these meme coins and these shit coins started going up just because people had too much money on their hands. Right, yeah, that's that's a great way to summarize it. Um, back like what you said about velocity, I want to dive in like a little bit about that because I'm a I'm a, a economics major myself, and I think it's like um Elon Musk was talking about it a lot in his um interview um recently I think a month ago I forget at the conference um but so I want to like understand your opinion. So for velocity of money, do you think like it's better for as a society for us to like continue to print money and like the Fed to keep stimulating the economy with money? Or do you think that we should take a route by society like Elon Musk did with PayPal and he allowed, he increased the velocity of money like an insane amount. And then obviously Bitcoin is increasing it somewhat. It's they're on the path to increase it, at least globally, they're doing somewhat of a job right now. Um, What do you think like the best route is for an economy to really like function? Is it print money or is it keep um, evolving as like technology? Yeah, so I would definitely say that Printing money is the way to go if you keep it slow and steady, because here in America, we're seeing a rising population. Um, and as you as you have a increased population, having more money in the system isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, however, in the long run, 
what ends up happening is that the Fed, uh, what we've seen in the past is that once the Fed starts printing money, it rises pretty exponentially and it doesn't stop until, you know, we see an event like, uh, like COVID where basically they had to decrease bond prices almost to zero. And we've had this event a couple times in the past where they've had to absolutely nuke interest rates just to keep the economy going. And I mean, what we're starting to see now is interest rates can't keep going down. You know, once they're already zero, they can't go lower than that realistically. So although printing money is a good thing, you have to do it um, slowly and steadily. You can't just, uh, you know, do it all at once. Like I feel like they did with COVID uh, because that's obviously going to backfire at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. They like, they printed all this money after COVID and now the economy's jumping and now they're, they're coming up on a recession and now they're rushing to raise rates, but the recession is coming too fast. So they have to raise rates even faster than they ever have, like in the past exactly. 20 years. And now they're stuck in a, stuck in a tug of war with themselves because they printed too much and now they can't slow down the economy enough. Yeah. So essentially what they can choose to do at this point is either save the stock market by keeping interest rates flat or raising interest rates and saving the economy. And, you know, that's kind of an impossible question, which one's more important, equities or the economy? Um, for now, it seems like they're choosing the economy. And, you know, by raising interest rates, they're doing what they can to mitigate inflation. Um, but what that does to stocks is it pushes money out of stocks and that, ca that cash flows into bonds, um, which is why we've seen the sort of a bear market in equities recently and crypto because crypto has just been following equities. Um, yes. It you is know, not, definitely not being a hedge against inflation like we were all promised. <laughs> I think over the long term, it'll prove to be um, obviously right now. It's like, I don't know. So Bitcoin was launched in 2008 and then it hasn't, it hasn't been through a process where they're raising rates this fast ever. So a lot of people like I don't know, I saw some chart on Twitter and it was like the open the open interest dropped. Like it was literally just like a candle straight down ever since the top. Like it was insane. And like no one is no one wants any part of it right now because yeah. it's just the worst economy for it. Yeah. I mean, one thing I'll say is that obviously Bitcoin was created during a recession and what it's meant to do is yes, to act as an alternate currency against the dollar. But what it's sort of become is this asset that people buy as a security. And what that ends up doing is, you know, no matter what Bitcoin can do and is capable of doing at the end of the day, people buy or sell it to control the price. So in a time of panic like this, you know, no matter what Bitcoin has the potential to do, uh, you know, to replace the dollar, to do all these things for our economy with the blockchain technology, at the end of the day, people panic selling it is just going to nuke the price. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of the bear market, not, not even just specifically crypto, but overall, like, how are you handling it? And like, you have any uh, any like specific thoughts or maybe predictions on what you think is going to come out of it or when it might be over? Um, yeah, so obviously right now is a time to stay risk off because I really don't see a bottom coming soon. You know, I see SPY going to 350 and then possibly 320, which would be a full reset from uh, pre-COVID times. Um. But yeah, the important thing right now, in my opinion, is to not take on more risk than you can afford, which I mean, obviously for us college students uh, at such a young age, we can't afford a fair amount of risk. 
but nevertheless, it's still important to, uh, you know, I know Kyle, you have a lot of crypto, but I would say not to go all in on crypto and yeah. stay diversified. Um, I think that's fairly important here. Um, but yeah, I mean, like everyone else, I, I've been a crypto believer, like everyone else you've had on the show. I've been a crypto believer since day one. Um, obviously nothing has changed fundamentally here. Blockchain tech will absolutely change the world. And over the long run, this is not a bad place to start buying. So I personally, I've had some limit orders for Bitcoin at 18,000. I have some for ETH at 830, which haven't hit yet, but you know, hopefully they will. That would be a fantastic entry. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as that that's concerned, ETH is still uh, offering the same promise that it did back you know, in 2020, uh, 2021. And you know, I have huge faith that uh, NFTs and uh, all this technology that ETH and Bitcoin are offering will change the world. Yeah, that's awesome that you're still keeping that mindset. So like, was, were you always like this? Obviously you started back a long time ago. Like what were some feelings you had like when you first like got, obviously 2008 was just a decade of like after that, it was just a decade of, of bull and like it was just going up and up. And then 2020 was kind of, I guess your first experience of a, of a bear market. How did, yeah. were your feelings like the same in 2020 compared to now? Or like, how did you evolve from 2020 in a bear market? And how did you feel? And then how do you feel now? Yeah, so in 2020, everything happened so fast. You know, we had a sort of a flash crash in a couple of weeks and then a, a record-breaking recovery. Everything just went up so fast um, that obviously back then you didn't really have time to panic. Um, all I did was I saw a dip and I bought and that was the right thing to do. And the difference here is that this is sort of more of an elongated bear market where, you know, ever since the beginning of the year, we've been going down trending steadily and uh obviously the bonds market is in a very different place from where it was in 2020 so although you could make the argument that blindly buying the dip is the right thing to do i would say that this is more of a correction um and that while yes uh for the long term this is a good place to buy i think that we go a little bit lower here uh while the bond market kind of figures itself out um and, you know, for now, I'm just watching, waiting to see what happens. We, yeah, um, it's like back in um, back in 2020, uh, when I, f I first met Ben in, in a discord, it was called Main Street Wolf. And it was like, uh, like all through like until September, you, you were the you were you and uh, I don't remember who else was in there, but you guys were like the first ones that introduced me to crypto. And I remember ETH, ETH specifically was just chilling at $300 like the entire year. And then that's when it really started, like in October, November, it just, it took off. Like every single day would hit another, another milestone. And it went from like $300 to $2,000 in like, like two weeks. It was, it was so wild. And now we're like heading back down to those prices. Yeah, definitely. Seems like such a good opportunity. But yeah. So Main Street Wolf was one of the first groups that I joined. Um, I remember, <clears throat> I remember you were in there, uh, uh, Rubes was in there, a bunch of other guys. Um, and that was really where I started discovering, uh, you know, real estate funds, ETFs. Uh, you told me about solar stocks. I remember that um, back in the day when those only went straight up. Um, and yeah, obviously back then I, we were just watching ETH go up every day. 
300 to 500 to a thousand um and obviously it was a lot easier back then to load up your bags than it is today where everything is trending but in the opposite direction um but you know i'm i'm glad that we made the best of it that we could and that um i was able to start writing for main street wolf recently and kind of sharing my knowledge with a larger platform yeah so so diving into into that um I, I didn't even notice till recently that you were that you were writing for him. But how, how did you like how did you come across starting that and and what made you want to do it? Yeah, so he actually reached out to me and he um, he offered uh, for me to start writing about crypto a little bit because that was a field that um, I guess he had a lot of members who were interested in it, but he was lacking um, a little bit of that on his website. So I remember the first article I wrote for him was about the Russia-Ukraine conflict and how that would affect crypto, because a lot of people were talking about how, um, you know, Russian billionaires could just buy Bitcoin to uh, sidestep the the swift freeze of Russian currency. Um, and I remember back on like uh, back in late February, Bitcoin had that 17% day, which was like the second highest uh, green day uh, that year. Um, and I just wrote a little piece about that, um, about how, you know, although Bitcoin is theoretically uh, anonymous money, it can't be used to sidestep regulations. And I made a case for why uh, it wasn't Russia's loophole and why the rotation of Russian wealth into crypto was positive from a macro perspective. But, you know, short term, um, it was a little bit iffy. But I mean, since then, the situation has obviously worked itself out a little bit. Um, people understand that crypto isn't just uh, just a money laundering tool, which I mean, obviously, you still have your doubters, but um, it's becoming more clear to people uh, what the blockchain is really about. Yeah. There's, um, there's doubters in every field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then after that article, I wrote a lot about NFTs for him, um, how to find NFTs, how to find NFTs with long-term potential. Um, and uh, recently I've taken a break from writing for him just because, uh, you know, college, college takes up a huge amount of time. Yeah, you're right. But, and it's, uh, yeah, it's nice like having a summer where you can just do whatever you want and not have to worry about class or school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, unfortunately this might be my last summer like that before I have to start looking for internships. Like I'm sure you guys are. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad to be making the most of it that I can. Yeah, that's, that's awesome that you're starting to write so early because I feel like it's such a good tool like to have to know how to like express yourself in writing. And like if you can articulate yourself in a certain way, like that's just that's just an amazing skill to build up right now. Did you did you like do writing before that or or did he just like reach out to you because like he knew you were a knowledgeable person in the topic and you just started journaling like right away or or how did you like evolve into a journalist or writer? Yeah, so I've, um, that's a great question. I've been writing market outlooks for my uh, group for the last year or two, um, where I've just, you know, been basically writing my thoughts out loud about uh, the bond market and crypto and, you know, all these, uh, all these analysts who claim crypto is going to zero, some claim it's going to like 500,000 per Bitcoin. And um, the, the real basis of my writing is that you have to be contrarian to what the quote unquote analysts think. Um, and I really started writing about that, um, how, you know, you got to be fearful when everyone is greedy and greedy when everyone is fearful. Um, and then recently in this past year, I started writing a lot more on Twitter 
um, you know, writing slightly more um, formal versions of my thoughts about, uh, you know, the bond market and uh, where I see crypto going. So um, I have been writing for a while, but it's been a mix and match of different formats. Yeah, yeah, definitely a big fan of your tweets. Um, I know we we've replied back and forth a few times about it. I think it's what do you do you have like some now we're on Twitter. Uh, do you have like some favorite accounts that you follow, like 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 people that you look up to and are like consistent over time um, on Twitter? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I use Twitter as uh, a platform just to keep up with current events and current market conditions because I kind of hate reading the news these days. I'd rather just see a little condensed paragraph about what's happening, uh, you know, and if I know it's a good source, then that's good enough for me. So a lot of the good guys I follow are um, Nate Digital, Main Street Wolf has a great Twitter actually. Um, uh, Gainsey for crypto, he's a bit of a shit poster, but he has some good stuff once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, overall Twitter has just absolutely changed the game recently. Yeah, for sure. And could not agree more. Yeah. And oh, we, we did an episode actually on uh, Elon and taking it over. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, so you said, obviously, news, like in general, just like television news is, is really not the best source nowadays for like people to use. It's I mean, there's a lot of flaws with it. We don't have to dive deep into it. You're welcome to, to say what you think about it. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think about like Elon taking over Twitter and trying to like, um, I don't know, restructure the, the algorithm? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Twitter today is not what it used to be. Um, every day I wake up to like 10 new notifications from bots telling me that I won 5,000 Bitcoin or whatever, you know, and that's obviously really annoying. Um, so I see Elon taking over Twitter as a potentially good thing, but it really depends on what he does with it because, you know, with Twitter becoming what it is today, uh, someone having control of it would be a, a pretty big power, I feel like. So although, you know, he's promising to do great things, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to what he actually does do. Um, you know, I hope he does the right thing by, <clears throat> by keeping it, um, you know, free and uh, not changing the algo too much. Because, I mean, personally, I've gotten pretty accustomed to it. Um, you know, the fact that it's not uh, totally chronological, but it's pretty chronological. And you get your current events just from the top when you open the app. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of like what it is today, personally. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Like, yeah, for the most part, it is. The bots is really one of the biggest problems, like not to know that people that are tweeting are real people or if they're a bot or if they're a computer or whatever the case may be. And Elon talks a lot about that. And also Michael Saylor talked about it. Like you you might, he, he proposed this idea of like sending like one Satoshi or like five Satoshis to a, a Twitter and it verifies your account. And then so everyone knows that you're, you're actually a real um, person yeah did you, did you hear about that i did hear about that um you know it's a good idea i feel like twitter should definitely be uh i mean obviously you have verified people on twitter there should be some sort of human verification as well um but you know in in the world that we live in i feel like at the end of the day no matter what you try to do you're gonna have bots maybe to a smaller extent or hopefully to a smaller extent but, you know, they're always going to be there. You always just got to be careful, uh, you know, to not click any weird links or anything like that. And although all those scams are getting a lot more realistic, um, 
I feel like Twitter does a pretty good job of, uh, or they could do a better job, but they do a pretty okay job at least of, uh, you know, keeping the humans separate from the, from the boss. Usually you can tell. That's a good point. I think it's, it's really like showing like how this, especially with crypto and like blockchain technology, like, and then also the cyberspace just blew up over COVID as well. It's, it's just insane. Like how, how much more security we're going to need. Cause everything's going online now with like NFTs and even just like zoom calls and everything. Like people are hacking into people's zoom calls and making YouTube videos out of it. And like, it's just insane. Like the security, if we're going to continue on this like evolving path to like a digital world as a society, we're going to need more security eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously 10, 20 years ago, we didn't have these problems that we have now, but a big downside of an increasingly automated world is that scams obviously become increasingly automated as well. You know, all these robo calls to, um, personally, I've been getting a bunch of, um, a bunch of emails going into my inbox, uh, from bots recently. Um, and you know, on one hand it shows the power of this technology that, uh, you know, with automation, you have an upside and a downside. Um, but on the other hand, you know, people have lost tens of thousands of dollars to this stuff, if not millions. Um, so obviously on a larger scale, something needs to be done about this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's crazy though that like, I don't know, I, 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 I get emails like on my, I got an email one time on my student email and it was like, oh, you need a job. It was like a bot or whatever. And it was like, oh, apply for this job. And it was a total scam. They just wanted you to like send them cash apps from a digital check or whatnot. And yeah, like, I get emails all the time. Yeah, they're so annoying. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, this might be real. And then I look at it and they're asking me to send cash up. I'm like, okay, never mind. You're a scam for sure. It's crazy though. Like email has been around for like decades now and they're still like, they still haven't solved that. But I think that's, it's something that like we need to look, I mean, a lot of people say like email was the first blockchain, like as far as like a decentralized platform, because everyone can communicate with the self peer to peer. And I feel like blockchain, you might see that. I don't know how, I don't know how you're going to be able to make it secure and still have the technology at the same time. It's, it's really like a pickle that blockchain is in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with Ethereum and all these NFT projects getting hacked recently, it's a pretty bad look for the space overall. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like the the true blockchain, Bitcoin, is uh, you know is the future in terms of security because Bitcoin is uh, Bitcoin's never really gotten hacked in that major of a uh, major of a way, um, and you know although it can happen eventually, I don't think it will because it's a pretty foolproof system. The entire point of the blockchain is you know to use cryptography to to protect uh, information that goes through it. And, you know, I really see that as a huge use case for it in the future. Yeah, I mean, speaking of like scams, I just got a, a call from a random number that I'm sure was um, a scam. But like even like like you said, even in Ethereum with with the NFT projects uh, back when in like NFT summer, they would be sending uh, scam NFTs to your wallet. And like if you interact with it, you can get hacked or like all the links that go around that if you click on the link. They can just steal everything from your wallet and you, you see yeah, that and there's been again. a new thing recently where they send you an nft with like a one eth offer on it and when you accept that offer uh they hack your entire wallet basically which you know absolutely shouldn't be possible but people find all these little loopholes and you know you know credit where it's due a lot of these scammers really do know their stuff <laughs> true <laughs> um but i guess transitioning back into like like the the bear market so like obviously a lot of 
like like a tremendous amount of people got into the stock market after the COVID crash. Um, and now seeing this extended bear market that's just so violent, they've never seen anything like this before. So do you have any like advice for, for newer investors that might be getting, I guess, scared or worried right now, seeing as this is the first violent downturn they've seen? Yeah. I mean, I would say have conviction, you know, think about why you bought whatever you bought in the first place. And, you know, just know that that hasn't changed. Apple is what Apple used to be a year ago. Tesla is exactly what it was a year ago. Um, Fundamentally, all these projects haven't changed. The only thing that's changing is what people are saying about them. And, you know, always be contrarian to sentiment is, you know, that's something I preach to all my guys. Um, because the way the market works is that most people are wrong. So if you sell into the panic or you buy into the greed, that is where you're going to make a mistake. Um, you know, and having said that, obviously being greedy when others are fearful is a lot easier said than done. Um, but that's, that's basically the backbone of what separates a good trader from a bad trader. So, you know, take this time to learn, um, use it as an, as an opportunity and, you know, reach out to reach out to experts and just do what you can to become a better trader. Yeah. That speaks a lot to like keeping your emotions away from trading. Like a lot of people, so there's so many people that preach that, but like when you're really in the scenario, like experience it firsthand and you see your account go down 50% or whatever percent it is. And you're like, wow, I just lost that much money. It's so hard, like not to be emotional in that scenario, but like you just gotta like, you gotta build those habits and understand that it's, it's a long game. It's not a short price action game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, seeing your account go down like six figures, um, you know, while, yeah, it's just numbers on a screen, but at the same time, that's life-changing wealth to somebody. Um, But, you know, I'm just, I'm just very grateful that I'm a college student. So, you know, like I said before, I can lose all my money and, you know, at the end of the day, I'll still be in UNC hanging out with my friends, uh, you know, going to sports games. So, you know, just think about investing only what you can lose and always have a backup plan. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I read a book recently, it was called Economic Narratives. And it like talked a lot about like how the economy is basically like just based off this narrative and it's all emotions. And like, there's so many emotions that are contributing to market movements and whatnot as a whole. And if you can like, if you can understand those narratives and why they're going, then you can, you can like think logically about why the market is actually moving, not like the fear or the greed. And you can th- really understand like, the, the factors that are at play, like raising rates or like the debt market or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've actually read a couple of books recently that I've loved. Um, yeah, please share. Yeah. One of them was the richest man in Babylon. Uh, Accelerate is another great book. So for me personally, I found that reading these more metaphorical books is a better way to understand the real world. But, you know, obviously there are these, great books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad that everyone needs to read, you know, regardless if, uh, of whether you like Kiyosaki or not, that was a great book. Um, but, you know, just understand that without reading, you're not going to understand how the world works. It's a huge part of uh, being a good investor. Yeah. Could, could you dive more into, uh, you said Rich Man of Babylon? Is that what you said? Yeah. The richest, so the richest, richest Man of Babylon. Yeah. What is that about? And why do you like it so much? So that book and The Alchemist is another book really similar to it. So both of those books are basically about, they're they're metaphors for people chasing uh, something that they want. And uh, I mean, The Alchemist specifically was about this kid who who chased um, 
something that God told him was near the, the great pyramids of Egypt. And he went all the way across the world to get it. And then he found out that uh, the gold, which is what he was chasing, was actually right back where he started. So he went on this whole journey basically for nothing, but it wasn't really for nothing because he learned so much on the way. That's, that's a great lesson. It really is all about mm -hmm. the journey. Cause like, even, even if you do reach your goal, then you're not going to like, you got to, you got to enjoy every aspect of, of you chasing your goal. Not just the fact that you achieve, if you have a goal of whatever a million dollars by the time you're 30, then like, just cause you reach that goal doesn't mean that you're going to be happy. And like, you're going to enjoy life after that. Like you have to enjoy the journey and like build habits that are going to last your whole life. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, once you have a million, you're going to want 10 million. Once you have that, you're going to want a hundred. So obviously I would say, uh, never settle, never stop learning, but at the same time, uh, quit while you're ahead, especially with, you know, super high risk things like crypto. Um, you know, once you, once you reach your goal, understand that, you know, you've sort of done what you can and that it's better to take profits along the way than, you know, to make a million and to lose a million. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Yeah. I, I knew a guy who, uh, Back in the in the shitcoin days, he like he was like one of the first people to buy this coin called Elongate, and he put like ten grand in, and he was literally like it went it because it, it exploded and his his uh whatever however much he bought it was worth like almost it was one point eight million, and he was wow. like I'm not selling like the whole way up he was like I'm not selling and it went back down to like a hundred k and he sold, which I mean is still like a crazy amount of money but it just shows like how fast anything can granted like shit coins obviously especially how's about to say <laughs> but especially yeah you just you gotta like know i mean if you don't have something established like that then it really could just disappear in an instant but on the topic of like like books do you have any other like recommendations maybe like videos or youtube channels to recommend to anyone or with our audience yeah so uh tasty trade is a great youtube channel for uh, macro and it's more uh specifically geared towards options and volatility in the markets but I mean, you know, as someone who's an ex-option trader, I would say that that knowledge is uh, absolutely applicable to anywhere in equities. Um, and then obviously, in addition to that, read Twitter. Twitter is your best source of information. I don't know where I would be without Twitter right now. Yeah, and it's also good, like, you can join Twitter and like, you can have like, obviously, it's full of memes and whatnot, but it's like, it's good to follow people that are actually like insightful and knowledgeable instead of just like following random accounts and letting like the yeah. algorithm just or just scroll the explore page and you just have a bunch of random news on there. Like you really have to think about like who you're following. And like, if you know someone else that's using Twitter, then ask them like, like that's what I did. Sam, Sam was the one that first got me into Twitter actually. And like, I, he literally, the first day I downloaded, I was talked to him and he was like, Oh yeah, just follow all these accounts that I follow. And like, that was a perfect, like, like um, groundwork for, for who, how to structure my account. Yeah. Yeah, definitely your Twitter page is what you make it. So, you know, don't start reacting off the top with just a bunch of memes because that's going to be what you get. Um, use Twitter for news. Use Twitter to keep yourself up to date with the markets. And you'll discover that there's so much free stuff out there. Anything else to add before? I don't think so. Okay, well, we, we, we asked all our guests that come on uh, this last question. Um, what is one goal that you have? Like it can be in your career or personal life. And like, what are the actions that you're taking now to achieve that goal? Yeah. So for me, I consider myself a pretty good trader, but never stop learning. I, I want to always be in a position where I'm learning more every single day. 
um, and sharing what I learned for free with everyone. So, you know, whether that's Wall Street Kings, whether that's something else that I start later in my life, I just always want to be, uh, you know, sharing what, what I learned with a platform of people. Awesome. Um, well, I guess, do you have anything else to add? I don't. Um, uh, for our audience, just drop like uh, your, your Twitter handle, anything you want to hand off to, like your website, um, Wall Street. We'll, we'll put links down in the show notes, but if you could just go through anything you want to share so we have it on there. Yeah, definitely. So real Wall Street Kings on Twitter, real Wall ST Kings. Uh, you know, drop a follow, drop a like on some of my tweets. That would be appreciated. Uh, and thank you for having me on, guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, We'd sure. de- definitely love to have you back and even dive, just do a crypto episode in itself because I know you're super knowledgeable on that and we'd love to have you back on. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to be back on. Sweet. Thanks for watching, everyone. <laughs> See you later.